Well, good morning and welcome. So glad to be here. I don't know, between worship and the uh, the rap between Darren and Zach and then Aaron's kind of uh, catch-up video there to let us know where we've been and where we're going, I don't really know why I'm up here. So, uh, But I'm up here, so we might as well jump in. We are in this series called Yours is the Kingdom, and uh, as Erin kind of explained, she shared with us where we've been and where we're going, and we'll do a little bit more of that. But but as we lean into this prayer, and as we've been kind of focusing on it, it, it began really in the first line, Jesus trying to tell us how we should pray, and it began with this relationship, uh, this idea that Jesus says, our Father in heaven. And that was a game changer. If you've been with us this whole time, you kind of know that. But, uh, but if you're just joining us this week for the very first time, uh, the idea that Jesus would, ca- would call God Father changed the way that we interact with God. To view him in this intimate way. There's an intimate relationship happening between us and God. And so when we really start to, to, to get into this, it is all about this idea of relationship. When Katie and I first started dating, I had just bought my first house, uh, what was soon going to be our first house. And I hadn't moved into it yet because it was my great-grandmother's house. It was built back in the 50s, and so I was going to completely gut it and remodel it. And so a lot of the time that we spent together in those first kind of dating moments was really remodeling this house that we had. And so we had a lot of Friday nights spent at Home Depot picking up supplies for what we were going to do. And then your friends would be like, oh, what'd you guys do this weekend? Yeah, we went shopping for toilets at Home Depot. It's a blast. You know, it's like that was our dating life. But we would play this game while we were shopping through the aisles. And I can still vividly remember this, where we would just play this game where we would just ask each other questions. Questions like, you know, if you could just live anywhere, money was no object, where would you live? Or, you know, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would you eat? And so we would just ask each other these random questions and a desire to do what? And a desire to try to get to know each other better. And it wasn't forced, like there was a desire, a real desire that we wanted to know one another. Because we were in... A relationship. And because of that, conversation was necessary. All right, the more we talked, the more we got to know one another, and the more we got to know one another, the closer we became. We are in a relationship with God. And the number one way that we have to communicate with Him is through prayer. And the more that we talk to Him, the more we get to know Him the closer we become to him. And that is this beautiful picture of what prayer is. Now, we still have his word, and the more we read that, the more we know him. But prayer is this chance where we get to speak back and sometimes to quiet ourselves and slow down and listen. But it all begins with this idea that we are seeking to be in a relationship. I mean, how many of you have had relationships that have either failed or just ceased to exist because conversation stopped? Maybe you're with school and school with someone and they move away. Relationship ends because the conversation ends. 
Now today, that's not the case anymore, right? Like uh, you can keep up with each other in a whole host of ways. But when I was a kid and some kid moved away, you know, you had letters or something like that you could write. But, but for the most part, if a kid in your class moved away, your relationship stopped with that person because there was no communication left. A lot of times when we're in school, our relationships are based on who we have classes with because there's the people we talk to. You stop having classes with someone and you find that what happens? Your relationship just kind of tails off. In a marriage, number one sign, they say, you stop talking, the relationship's going downhill fast. Because communication is a necessary part of this relationship that we have. And so as we look at the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus is really teaching us to do is how we can talk to our Heavenly Father. And through talking, have a deeper, more meaningful relationship. And that's the goal, that we would have this relationship of closeness with God our Father. Today, we're going to focus on the part of the prayer that's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. We're going to throw it up here on the screen, but look at it. Aaron uh, shared it with us. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the portion of the prayer that we're going to focus on the most today. So far, where we've been, if we want to backtrack just a little bit, we began with this idea that we're going to praise the name of our Father in heaven. We're going to call him holy. And so uh, we begin with this idea of praise. Uh, The second thing we're going to do is that we're going to ask for God's kingdom to come. That means that, that what God wants to happen... Right, that, that it would leave heaven and it would come down here and it would inhabit earth. And so it's going to be God's priorities. Right? And then we're going, to, we're going to think about this idea that God's will would be acted out here on earth. That, that we would recognize that God is in control, that God is king. And today as we talk about this idea, this request, this first time now that we enter into a place where we're really asking God to provide something for us, we realize that God is a provider, and so we have provision down. We don't see necessarily this idea that we're, that we're begging for this. We're not saying, please, this isn't something that we're going to borrow in return. No, there's an there's a expectation that God simply wants to give us what it is. We're not entitled to it. We don't receive it because we've done something But there's a true dependence on him, right? Give us this day our daily bread. There's this idea that that only what God gives is what's going to sustain us. This is hard for us. Because we're a people that, that are taught that everything we have is a result of how hard we work. Right? Uh, this idea that we overcome adversity and we pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and that we earn everything that we have. And so it becomes a struggle for us to see that we rely on God for anything. Uh, What's the answer to anybody who doesn't have anything that they want? 
You know, if you just would simply work harder, then you would have it. And so in that mindset, it becomes tough for us to really understand how it is that we rely on God. I mean, we are an independent and self-sufficient people. We take pride in how we care for our families. Even when we have little, we live in abundance compared to those around us. I mean, Aaron kind of touched on it, but, but I live in a house that in my garage, there is a extra refrigerator in, in, in my garage, right? And it's stocked full of stuff at any given time. I could pull something out of the freezer to grill or to cook. Uh, my kids went back to school about a week and a half ago, and, and we've got this section of the house that's dedicated just to making lunches. Uh, I mean, you can go there and you can find anything that you want to make a lunch. It's kind of like an assembly line uh, that my wife has created. And I think that we could prepare lunches from now until Jesus comes back based on the supply that she has. That's how we live. Chris and I were talking, Chris at Ross and I were talking the other day, and they were collecting backpacks for, um, for Ross schools to go back. And uh, I told him, I said, hey, my wife Katie, she's going to put together a backpack. She's got some stuff at home that she's going to throw in, she, you know, into a bag for you. And he wasn't trying to be rude, but he was like, oh, Kevin, he said, um, we only want new backpacks and new, uh, new supplies to go in those bags. I was like, yeah. My wife's got a stockpile full of stuff. I was like, we've got bins full of new school supplies. Like, we're, we've got this. It's fine. We're not, we're not reusing pencils and crayons. We've got, we've, we, you know, we've we got stuff. We live in abundance. And, uh, and we're not wealthy by, by any means. But maybe you've got that too at your house, that we have this surplus of stuff. And so when we have that, becomes really, really hard to rely or to see this reliance on God for anything because really we've got everything that we need to get through our day. The idea of being self-made doesn't necessarily line up with what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to see ourselves as dependent on him. Max Lucado, famous author, has this to say. He says, our father has committed to care for us. We aren't wrestling crumbs out of a reluctant hand, but rather confessing the bounty of a generous hand. The, effort, the essence of the prayer is really an affirmation of the Father's care, because our provision is his priority. Do you believe that God wants to provide for you, that God's duty is to provide for you, that, that he as a heavenly father wants to give you what it is that you need. Sometimes we, we struggle with that. We want to be self-reliant. God has a priority to provide for us and he wants us to look into his heart, into his heart for our provision. This idea that, that God would supply all of our needs. So the first thing that we see in this part of the prayer is there is a commitment to dependence. Right? And this is the key. And this is what's hard for a lot of us because we don't depend on anyone for anything. If I'm going to have something, I'm going to earn it. 
And God really needs us to see that we depend on everything through him. And so Jesus is trying to teach us that we're going to have to depend on God. Can we begin to shift our mindset to understand that everything that we have and everything that we're able to do and all the work that comes from our hands and all the work that comes from our minds is a gift provided to us from our Father in heaven. That our ability to work and our ability to earn and our ability to save and our ability to do any of those things is only through the generosity of our Father in heaven. And see, here's this, this phrase that as a staff we've kind of been wrestling with a little bit and, and I'll share it with you. We work as if everything relies on us, but we pray as though everything relies on God. See, what God's doing here is he's not promoting laziness or apathy or this idea that we just sit around and do nothing and God's going to provide everything that we need. No, he wants us to be active. And so we work as if it relies on us, but we pray as if everything relies on us. On God, and somewhere in the middle, God provides. We want to have this spirit of work, right? We want to have this attitude, but know in the back that God is the one providing everything. That there's this idea that God is providing this bread that is going to sustain our life. Now, when Jesus first used this phrase in the prayer, the audience there, when he said, give us this day our daily bread, their minds probably would have went back to their ancestors, to the time of Moses. In the time of Moses, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were being punished by God for their unfaithfulness. And so in their punishment, they were wandering through the desert for 40 years. And during this wandering, God provided for their needs in the way of a thing called manna. Now, manna isn't something we would find today. It was from God for God's people for that specific time. But it was a food source, kind of like a bread. And, uh, and so when God would deliver this, he would do it. And God's people were commanded to go and gather what they needed. But only what they needed for that day. And then they'd take it back to their families and to prepare it and to eat it. And then the next day, God would provide more. But there was a fear amongst God's people. You know what those fears were? Well, what if tomorrow there's no manna? Or what if today we run out and we didn't take enough? And so, inevitably, people would begin to take more than what they needed. And the punishment for taking more was that all of it would spoil God was teaching a lesson on reliance. I'm going to provide for you today. And tomorrow may seem like a mystery, but just know that I'm going to get you through today. And then tomorrow, we'll worry about that later. And that was the struggle that, that God's people dealt with. They, they wanted to know that they were cared for, not just that day, but every day. And so there was this dependence 
that was going on that God's people struggle with. In, in the prayer, if you read it, it says, give us this day our daily bread. There's this plurality that's going on that we're asking not just for me. Jesus didn't say, give me my daily bread. It's give us. It's this communal thing that we're not just asking for our well-being, but we're asking for the well-being of all of those around us. See, we struggle with this idea. We worry so much, not just about today, but about every day. You know that the uh, mental health uh, experts will tell you that uh, 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and older, or 18.1% of the population every year struggle with anxiety and depression. It's one of the most rapidly growing mental health issues that we have. Worry, anxiety, uncertainty. We struggle with that. In the same chapter that we find the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus continues this thought and this idea. Read with me, it's uh, verses 25 and 26 and then verse 34. We're going to throw it up on the screen. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying, look, just just worry about today. Worry about getting through right now. Because you're worried about so much and you don't have any control over any of it. And so he says, there's got to be a dependence on God to get you through. And so this is in that teaching where he says, look, we're just going to ask for enough to get through and get by today. And I wonder if we have enough faith to pray like that. Do we have enough faith that says, God, just get me through and provide me what I need to get through today? So there's this commitment that we have as we pray, this commitment to dependence. And there's a second thing that we want to look at, and it's a commitment to contentment. This idea that what I have is enough. So it's a prayer about dependence, but it's also a prayer about contentment. We're not asking for everything. We're not asking for everything for the next 30 years. We're not asking for abundance. We're not asking for luxury. We're asking for bread. And a bread that would sustain us for just today. When the Apostle Paul was talking, he's an author of most of the New Testament, he had a young understudy, Timothy. And when he talks to him in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says this, He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So here's the thing. Are we 
as Americans, able to be content with what we have. It's a struggle that we have. We live in a time of upgrade. We live in a time of more. Every single day, we think about, can I upgrade my phone? Can I upgrade my house? Can I upgrade my car? More, more, more. That's the story that's told in America. In Luke chapter 12, there's this story that Jesus tells about a man. It says, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So this, this rich guy, he, he, he farms and he, and he gets such a big haul from his, from his harvest that, that his barns are too small. He doesn't have enough room to put everything. And so he says to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll big, build larger ones. And there I'll store up all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods and laid up for years. Relax, eat, drink, and be Mary. I mean, it sounds like the perfect story, right? He has this huge harvest and he's just going to save up all of that stuff and set it aside. And then he's just going to kick back and relax and he's just going to enjoy life. I mean, it sounds like the American dream. It says in the story, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, who will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He says, look, your life's going to be demanded of you. You've got all this stuff. And when you pass away, who's going to get it? Jesus says. He says, you're you're rich in this world's eyes, but you have no eternal wealth. See, this idea of bread, as we read it, it isn't really just about bread. It's about the thing that keeps us alive. It's about the thing that we need more than anything else. And as we're about to see, it's not really about physical bread. It's about something so much deeper and so much more. Jesus is asking that we would be praying about something that would sustain us and keep us alive. And in a world where we can provide all the bread that we want for ourselves, what is it that we really need? What is it that we're really asking God for? We're asking for something that can sustain us, something that can give us life. And that's not going to be found at Panera. It's going to be found in Jesus One of the other issues that we deal with is that what we're given gets old. The people in the time of Moses got sick of manna. They they never wanted to see manna again, even though it gave them life and even though it sustained them, it became not enough. Now, I love bread. I, I live in a family that loves bread and I can eat bread plain, but there are some things that make bread better. Because we just get tired of 
plain old bread. I mean, who, who doesn't love the smell of bread? We were talking about this in our house uh, in preparation for this, and we were talking about just that smell of bread. And, you know, I think my son Jack said, like, Subway. And I was like, man, you got really low standards when you're talking about bread if it's Subway. But, you know, we walk in the Subway and they're baking fresh bread. It's got a good, you know, I, I won't fault him on that. Panera, we mentioned them just a second ago, man. They've made their a living off of bread. But there's some things that, you know, we just get kind of, you know, plain bread. So, so we look to add more to it. We need more. Butter. Man, who doesn't love some fresh baked bread with some butter on it? Or strawberry jam. Man, that, that is, uh, is pretty good. I mean, peanut butter was made for bread, and bread was made for peanut butter. Um, my grandparents used to travel a lot to different places in Gatlinburg and Amish country, and they would always bring back this apple butter. Anybody ever had apple butter? Man, that's good stuff. And why do we have these things? Because, like, just the idea, you know, is bread enough for us to eat? Probably we get by on that, but, you know, we're not content with that. We, we, need, we need more. We, we're always needing more. There's this idea where Jesus begins in the book of John to, to, to lay out all these things that he is. These I am statements. He is say, I am the resurrection and the life. He'll say, I am the light of the world. You know, there's all these I am statements. Well, one of the things that Jesus calls himself is bread. And so there's this story in John where you're probably familiar with it, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. There's a group of people that had come and gathered to hear Jesus teach. And while Jesus is teaching, it becomes the time for dinner. And so just Jesus' followers are like, Jesus, we got to send these people home because it's dinner time and we have no food for them. All right? This conference does not have a meal plan, so we've got to get these guys out of here. Well, Jesus says, well, what do we have available to us? And so, if you're familiar with the story, you know they find a young boy that's got some bread and some fish. And Jesus takes that and he feeds over 5,000 people with what he has. Now, we don't often see kind of the, the aftermath of Jesus' miracles. I think that we get so accustomed to just reading through our Bible and we see these and be like, oh, Jesus turned water to wine, no big deal. Jesus healed some guy, no big deal. Jesus fed 5,000 people, no big deal. Well, what would happen is that these stories had a life to them. People would know about these things and people, I mean, Jesus would walk into a town after just healing somebody and he would go to the next town and just people would swarm him. Wanting what? Wanting the same thing, right? I've got an ailment. I've got a sickness. I've got a, a you know, a, a, a limp. I've got what I, I want healed. Well, right after this, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. These people chase Jesus to the next town in order that they might get some more. And so as they come to Jesus looking for more food, this is what Jesus says to them in John chapter 6. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. 
And they were, they were excited to get some more of this food and they were begging Jesus for it. And, uh, and so they just keep coming after him. They're like, yeah, yeah, give us, give us this, this bread that you're talking about. They continues on in verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Like they're, they're getting tripped up on this. They, they think Jesus is talking about real bread, bread that's going to last forever, kind of like the miracle that he did. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I am the bread. Quit worrying about what you're going to eat and start worrying about me. I'm in your presence. And so he continues on in verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Man, that's deep. There's some deep things going on there. But basically, Jesus is like, you know, you're chasing after me for bread. He said, you know what? Your ancestors, they ate manna that came down from heaven. And you know what happened to them? They died. Because that bread sustained them for a while, but it was not something that was going to keep them alive forever. He says, I have the ability to keep you alive forever. Eternal life is found only in me. You have to be in me. He's like, I'm going to give up my flesh. I'm going to give up my body so that you may have eternal life. So, so what do we do here in America? When, when we can provide everything that we need ourselves, when, when, when really this idea of give me today my daily bread, that's not a prayer that we pray. We've got abundance. We've got freezers. We've got stuff. So what are we really asking God for? When we can provide all our own meals, when we can provide meals and make them for other people, when, when we've got everything that we need, what are we lacking? Jesus says all that stuff, that bread you're eating, you're just going to be hungry again. You're just going to have to keep on chasing after it. So what are we really asking for? We're asking for the bread of life. We're asking for Jesus Christ. That's the thing that's going to sustain us. That's the thing that's going to be able to satisfy us in a culture that we keep chasing after more and more and more. Can we be content with Jesus? Can we say that Jesus is enough? That Jesus satisfies? Not Jesus and. We need no other toppings. We need nothing else to go with him, but simply Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, we get this picture. Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and he, and he says this back. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was never about the bread. It was always about Jesus. Because he's the only thing that's going to sustain us day in and day out. And so in this prayer, this model prayer that God gives us, 
we get this glimpse of our dependence on God, our contentment with God, that God would be enough. And that's something we struggle with, every single one of us. And we we want Jesus and the fairy tale. We want Jesus and the white picket fence. We want Jesus and the dream job. We want Jesus and and all this other stuff. Is Jesus enough? Can we be content on just Jesus? Would you pray with me? Generally, Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for what it is that you do here. And I just pray, God, that we would be reliant on you. That, that you would be enough. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.